0: Society of Superheroes is very proud to put on a special edition today. We missed the Sport for Development Day, but we are making sport front and center for today's edition. And today's podcast, we believe, needs to be an everyday discussion, something that really needs to not be celebrated on Child Protection Day or highlighted in the 16 Days of Activism. It's a conversation we as coaches and as parents need to be having with our children every day of the year. And we have brought with us Athletes Against Child Abuse to have the discussion with us and they are dedicated to creating awareness and education in the safeguarding of children in the sports environment providing a victim-centric advocacy platform for the fight for justice for children harmed in sport. Children should be free to participate in sport in a healthy safe environment, free from discrimination, abuse and sexual violence.
1: We welcome into studio Olivia Just Real and Debbie Wade, co-founders of Athletes Against Child Abuse. Olivia is a survivor, trailblazer, warrior, advocate for child rights, and sits on the SASCOC Safeguarding Committee. Having spent more than two-thirds of her life fighting for justice from an unremorseful, unrepentant child abuser, Olivia has made a commitment to every child athlete to seek justice for victims and campaign for no parole for sex offenders. Debbie is the latest addition to courageous women advocating for the protection of children in sport. She won the Midmar Mile and her son is a performance athlete on the competitive swimming circuit. Debbie most recently appeared in the media as the co-founder of Wemakers Athletes Against Child Abuse. Her last media appearance was when she opened a case of child sexual abuse that occurred within the competitive swimming community decades ago. The case is ongoing.
0: Right. So, We were all there yesterday, so it's gonna be quite a a good discussion that we can follow on from. So the thing that I found really inspiring about the launch yesterday is we had an enormously diverse group of people stand up to prevent abuse. Because what seems to have happened in both of your cases is that there was no voice for children in the not to give any of your ages away of course, but anyway in the seventies and eighties. And the, the whole aim of what you're attempting to do now, as I understand it, uh, Debbie, is to give a voice to children that we don't repeat the patterns that you suffered.
2: Exactly. And uh, I think it was a very proud moment for both of us. Um, and what makes it so special is that we have both been victims of it. And to stand there on a personal level and to just see all these amazing people Um, sporting icons federations um, really take the time and effort and you know come out and stand up with us um, and stand next to us and um, be prepared to take on the fight against that it's hugely emotional um, because I know from my perspective the biggest thing is not to be heard um, and yet this platform all of a sudden we have a voice um, and it's amazing the voice is getting louder and louder and louder and so we are getting our disciples um, and everybody's it feels like there's a groundswell coming together and people are just saying you know no more Um, and how amazing that uh, you know Hopefully, our future generations of athletes and sports um, people, and that, will just be able to go and enjoy their sport and be excited about participating in sport. Um, and it was such a health, you know, such a healthy environment, in that. And we should really be able to give our children that, and really excited about this initiative and the amazing support that we've had. So, yeah.
0: So. Olivia, you're at the end of a process that Debbie is beginning, but it's a process with no end. It's a bit like that door song, this is the end, but it never sort of ends, you know. <laughs> and the thing is, is that there's a level at which your competitive athletic spirit is actually quite a important skill to have in the system. Because it's, I mean, your sport is tennis and competitive tennis. And it's always like the system is knocking the ball backward and forward and some of them, they smash smashing it at you, and others a bit of a drop shot because you don't see it. See, I tried to learn tennis terminology before the interview. But anyway, mm-hmm. the, the idea that there, there is that fight in you as a competitive athlete, does that hold you in good stead once you enter the system? Because it is not an event entering the system. It's a process. You know, Luke,
3: I love your terminology, by the way. You seem to have got this. Ah. Um, you know, Luke, for, for me... I think, you know, and I think for any victim, we have that fight within us. We mm. do have that survival instinct within us. And we've got to really just dig really, really, really deep um, to, to for that to actually come out. So we all have it within us. And we need to get given a platform, which is hopefully what um, Athletes Against Child Abuse are doing. You know, for me personally, and, and I actually said this publicly, I actually thank Bob Hewitt mm. for... One of the lessons he taught me was you get every ball back, no matter what the price. And he, I remember him screaming and shouting at me and telling me, chase that ball down. Mm. And I chase that ball down. And yes, I have treated this like a tennis match. And every single ball that comes to me, I chase it down. Mm. And I do absolutely everything I can to get it back. And, you know, it, it has put me ahead a little bit. Mm. Um, and yes, I think, I think, you know, for athletes... As well, like you say, we, we all have this this inner fighting spirit, um,
1: and it does hold us in good stead with with absolutely without a doubt. The system is completely um, perpetrator centric. It's not it's not victim centric at all. We don't look out for the people who suffered such abuse, and and very often we spoke about being heard earlier. Those closest to us just don't want to listen. In terms of that, the role of athletes against abuse, how are – and I say we because I don't think it's just the job of victims against abuse. I think it is the job of all of us to hold adults to account. So, Debbie, in terms of the coaches and, and the and the systems in place or not in place to check if coaches are have got um, police clearance or not on the child sex offenders list or not on it rather – what are we what are we going to do around around that? Olivia, would you like to come in there? Um oh,
3: you know, we have got a monumental job ahead of us um in terms of the checking and that. So what I have established um is that all the federations have to check their coaches. They have to run police clearances. That 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 is what they are supposed to do, that is what they are telling um, parents, schools that they are doing, but we know that they're not doing it number one. And number two the, the you know the register is very far behind. So also speaking about abuse and and for victims to come forward is is a very, very new thing. Mm. So to get these the, you know a person is not going to be on the sexual offenses register. Or it's not going to show up necessarily on their police clearances unless they've been convicted. Mm. So you might have a coach who is under investigation or who has committed a crime, but only has charges against him. He's going to be checked, but he's not going to come up as a, as, a, as an offender. So it's a it's a huge, huge, huge problem, you know. And as far as vetting and everything goes. I think the only people that can really, really make this start working is when we stop sweeping it under the carpet, when the schools, the federations, and the parents stop ignoring it. You know, and there there is, we, we highlight the massive problem and we raise these issues, then you know that X, Mr. Z, Mr. Y is a possible perpetrator, he needs to actually be watched that's the problem we we have behind us what would really really be nice is if we could implement a system and it it is one of our 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 goals is to is to accredit coaches Mm. so you know can a federation come to us can a person in their private capacity contact us and say has mr zed been through all the necessary checking the necessary training um do you actually accredit him as a coach and 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 maybe use that as a platform to to you know to support parents in making sure that they make a right decision when they send the their, their their child to a, to a coach
0: now, and Debbie I'd like to come in there because I, and I know it's, it's it's a very very difficult topic and I'm, I'm not attempting to blame anybody other than the coaches who abuse children but one of the things we find over and over again is that parents not all parents certain parents, almost sacrifice their children to the sport. So it doesn't really matter what you have to go through. I'm not just just talking about sexual abuse, the way that you are touched, handled, the level of physicality required of little children, the emotional stuff that goes with high levels of competition, the stress, the anxiety, all of those kinds of things, that there's almost an, an acceptance that there's a price to pay for being a competitive athlete. And for me, that's one of the real... It, Picking up on what Olivia said at the end, that's one of the things we really need to challenge. I mean, we should be developing our children, not a sport.
2: Yeah, uh, Luke, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I uh, was one of those high-performance um, athletes, um, and it's you know it's easy to speak from real experience. Again, um, growing up in an environment where you know performance was everything. To the cost of um, myself, my family, Um, I know that there was no safe space for me. And every time I just felt as though it was, you know, shut up and and swim. And, um, you know, it's it's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable to um, sacrifice your children. Um, for you know for this and what we also have to understand is that sport in a, in a lot of ways is a way out um, it's a way out of economic um, poverty it's a way to a new life um, not only is it you know could it be um, the fantastic you know my child is is the Olympic champion it's it's a lot of parents are living their dreams through their children Um, vicariously through their children that but but also there's a real reality where we are facing economic um, you know economic poverty and sport offers children a way out offers communities um, a way out and so you know parents communities the people that should be looking after children would sacrifice their very well-being for that better life, um, you know, at the risk of the children. So, where do those children go? Um, there is nowhere safe to go. And you almost are raised with the understanding that it's okay. Mm-hmm. It is all okay because that is the price you pay for the performance. Um, in fact, as a child, you don't even know that you are paying that price. Mm-hmm. It is only when you are older, when you look back at that and you say, you know, I didn't even want to perform. You know, I I was forced to perform. I was forced to do these things. It was not always my um, choice as such. So this culture of high performance at any cost is not okay. And I think that we need to get back to, um, you know, parents need to be involved with their children, Parents need to um, know what's going on in their children's lives. They cannot uh, just relegate the responsibility um, of their children to, you know, to coaches, to schools um, and stand back and say, well, you know, it's your responsibility. It is not. It starts at home. It starts with parents. It starts with siblings. It starts with the community and that. We have to look after our children. We've got to know what's going on in our children's lives. Um, And our children's lives are much more important than a gold medal or or
1: any type of um, performance. We've spoken a lot about listening, especially as parents, and being heard. And you speak about living vicariously through your children. My daughter had the potential to be a very good swimmer. And I remember taking her to a very good private school who had a fantastic swimming program. And I thrust her upon the head of sport and I said, this is Claudia and she's a fabulous swimmer and hoping, obviously, to get a bursary because it would have helped financially a lot. And I remember her turning to the to the head of sport and saying, I'm not swimming. Do you have pottery? And he just looked at her as if to say, oh, my goodness. And I think in that moment as a parent, it brought me really back to reality to say well this child actually doesn't want to swim and that's okay and it was a huge lesson for me in in terms of listening actively to my child and not forcing her then to do something that actually didn't bring her joy
0: okay so Olivia your experience was a little bit different because you love tennis
3: your Luke um, I have my moments where (laughs) I did love tennis Um, It was actually all I knew to to be quite honest and you know just to touch on something uh, Debbie said now is is that a a parent will push us or live live vicariously through us Mm. you know something that that was said and and I'm gonna raise this quickly now is um, a lot of people do know that my parents testified against me for Bob Hewitt Um, that is that is the power and and the level that that man that that man was at and you know something my mom said in the courtroom when she was testifying and and it stuck with me and, but it only hit home then that not just did he abuse me she actually abused me as well was that it was it was raised that i had broken an arm um, and She and that I'd had to go back onto the tennis court three days after I'd broken my arm and something my mom says, yes, she did go and play a tournament. She was expected to Mm. do that. And that only actually occurred to me during the trial, which was six years ago. I was 45 years old when 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 I realized that I was actually abused all round. Mm. Um, I've lost my
0: train of thought, now. <laughs> no, well, it's uh, the, the train of thought's an oncoming train, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll read, re- re- redirect you. Because the one mm-hmm. thing that you said to me that um, over the years that was for me quite something was that it was something. It may have been all you knew, but it was something that you you really did enjoy. And the thing that for you was tragic was that this experience of abuse killed it for you. And the one thing you tried to get back on the court, what I think in your. 48s, in your late yeah. 40s, where you try to somehow reclaim what had been taken from you to see, I don't know, what what had been taken from you and almost to exert your power back to say, I should have chosen whether to pr- progress in the sport or not, but it was almost chosen for you.
3: So, you know, Luke, um, as a little girl, so, so for my fifth birthday, I was given a tennis racket and a coach. Um, I used to love ballet. And by my 7th birthday I was made to choose between ballet or tennis. As a 7-year-old, how do you make that choice? Sure. Anyhow, I chose tennis. Um did I love it? Yes, I did love love it, but I also I think I more loved what came with being number 1 in the country, mm. with being so ranked so well in the world, you know. Um with being always on the winning and always on the up with being the first person, the youngest person ever in in high school to receive full colors, you know, those kinds of things. So did I really love it? Yeah, I did. You know, I got a scholarship. I went overseas. I really, really excelled. Um, I then gave up for 24 Mm -hmm. years. And after our court case, I actually decided I was going to prove a point. Did I get back on the court because I loved it? No, I got back on the court because I tried to prove a point. Mm -hmm. And within a year of being back on the tennis court, I was number 10 in the country. Within two years, I was number five in the country. So then I did love it. Mm -hmm. Then he got parole, and I hated it again. And I can't get back on the court now. It's very, very difficult for me.
0: And Debbie, you had a similar experience about your career being cut short, because I mean, you were also a heavily competitive mid-mile mile winner.
2: Uh, more than just a mid-mile mile winner, I was a South African swimmer, um, an international swimmer in the sense that we were in the sanction era. Okay. Just wanted to make one point sure. when you say when you you know you ask us as a you ask a question you know you loved the sport. Mm. Well, it's quite difficult to answer that question because never been given the opportunity to understand if I loved the sport um, or if I hated it Mm. because I knew that I was extremely good at it I knew when I started I loved it I was having fun Mm. however that all changed the day that I met this person and all of a sudden that person becomes so intrinsically linked with the sport Mm -hmm. that you cannot ever, well, personally, I can't answer the question, did I love the sport? Mm -hmm. Because it's so intrinsically linked. You can never remove, I cannot remove the sport from the person and what happened in the sport. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So I think, you know, I think as we start wrapping up, I mean, I think that's a nice way to move forward because the thing is, we, I mean, I was never a competitive sportsman. I don't like competing, believe it or not. I I really am not competitive. Okay. I find that hard. To yeah, me. yeah. I'm sitting, a <laughs> sitting, sitting, disc- with <laughs> but thinking. But I do really enjoy sport. You know, so I, I mean, when people used to compete, it was like whatever. You know, so I think I had a very different experience of sport. And what we have done is use sport to develop young people. So as um, athletes against child abuse, for me, there's two elements. The one is that we need to prevent abuse. We need to deal with high risk situations. We need to manage the law, which is a complex thing. We need to care for people afterwards. But we also need to show the the potential of sport. I mean, up the the last post before the launch, I post was a I think she was a Bolivian or Colombian boxer, and the reason she boxes is because she was abused, and not abused in sport, but she used sport as a tool for healing. So, if you could maybe just conclude with your thoughts on that, so that we don't we don't see we, we are not seen as the people going out with the sledgehammers to hammer you know, professional sport only, we're also seeing the benefit and the potential wonder that sport can bring, if chosen, to the lives of young people.
2: I really do believe this is the essence as to why we are doing what we're doing. Because I want to say that this stops with our generation. This stops with me, this stops with Olivia. Um sport is such a fantastic, fantastic God given right. It is a God-given blessing to be able to um, participate and just to be able to be free and see how fantastic you actually can be. Mm. And when I look at my um, beautiful son and I see him swimming and um, just how free and magnificent he is. Mm. Brings home the absolute beauty of sport, and so the only reason that we are doing this is not about um, hammering people or going after them. It's about saying enough. Mm. This will never happen. To, well, not never, but that is our that is our pledge. Mm. We don't want this to continue to happen. We want our children and future children to walk into places of sport and to be able to enjoy sport in the pure essence of what it was meant um, and should always be.
1: Debbie, you touched earlier on, um, you know, economics and and we spoke about bursaries and and what have you at schools. And what we see um, most especially is the school's if they have bragging rights over athletes. So they'll say, oh, we've had X number of rugby players or tennis players and academics and, and what, what, what. And what I'd really like to see happening is that schools put out and say, Mr. X is our coach and he is not on the child. You know, he's he's followed all of these protocols and procedures we've been through it to vet him. So not only is he an exceptional coach, but we've done everything in our power to ensure that he is not an abuser. I know, I know that's very difficult to do, but everything due diligence has been done to ensure that your children are safe with this person. And what our, my challenge is to schools, especially um, where we see coaches, these high performance schools, is that they are taking this very, very seriously. And instead of just having bragging rights to say that our coaches have been through a very stringent um, vetting process. Corinne, may I just make two points? Number one, it is not he. Oh, no, thank you. I, I do apologize. Yes. That was the wrong pronoun to use. So we are very, very aware that this
2: happen, abuse happens everywhere. Number two, this is not bashing coaches either as such. Um, we find that a coach could be anyone. It could be a mentor. It could be somebody who is, a, you know, a working father who decides to help or a working mom or whatever. Um, so this is not about, you know, it's not about that. Um, it is also very difficult that, um, you know, to say, well, we have vetted, you know, because people can tick boxes. Mm. They can absolutely tick boxes and you can go through all of those. We we can... Um, put the systems in place and um, we can we can hopefully get those boxes in place but what we need to be doing more than most is we need to be breaking the silence around this abuse we need to change the culture we need to encourage people to stand up and say no if things are happening speak out everybody collectively don't hide it away don't cover it up don't pass the problem from one school to the next because let's just um, protect our reputation and pass that problem on to somebody else let's just shine a light on it um, and do
1: rather than tick boxes so important such important points thank you Debbie
0: All right. so Olivia your concluding message as one of the co-founders what do you want people to hear about Athletes Against Child Abuse?
3: I think for, for me personally, um, one of the main things that, that Athletes Against Child Abuse wants to bring to the fore is we want to give that voice to children. So, me as a victim, I never really had anywhere to go. The, the message we want to do is we want to encourage children and anybody that, that, that knows about abuse that could be happening we want to encourage them to come forward we want to encourage them to be brave and and speak to us so that we can make it better for them and we can stop anything that needs to be stopped in its tracks
0: so we move from warrior with an O to warrior with an A took a while Olivia thank you very much everybody <laughs> and uh, we thank you for joining us on Society Superhero Special Edition dealing with uh, sport and the protection of children within sport. And we look forward to you tuning in again and happy day.